0: This is the light, which shall give revelation to the Gentiles, the mystery of God in the world, the salvation of the world. Hey everybody. How is it going? My name is Jordan Pacheco. This is the glad Chad podcast. Thanks for coming in. And I'm actually here with uh, a good listener and now a new friend, uh, my buddy, Dominic, who is sitting over in some part of Connecticut. Is that correct? Yes,
1: I'm in Somninson, Connecticut. Small little suburb, pretty stereotypical, but it's a nice place to be. Can't hey complain. Man, I grew up in
0: Elizabeth, Colorado. That was like a population 2000. So don't worry, you're in good company, right? <laughs> I can't complain. <laughs> hey, so tell me, tell me and tell the rest of the people just a little bit about yourself, because I think that, I mean, we only started talking like this, like last night, because you brought something really interesting to my attention and something that's been really near and dear to your heart, but just Give give us just a little bit of background, because I know that you you talked about how uh, your fiance was a convert. You go to the Institute of Christ the King, um, you know, all, all this kind of stuff like what was your path to tradition? Maybe is a good place to start
1: to be completely honest you, my path to tradition was one that's quite, in my opinion, quite Catholic now. But I was one who was a cradle Catholic. I'm one of four boys. And truthfully, it became kind of a you go to church. We were a very stereotypical Novus Ordo you know, red carpet on the walls kind of thing. Yeah, that's real. <laughs> and we all believed. my parents are both immigrants from Poland. They left for different reasons that are long explained, but we realized that there was difficulties, but at the same time when you're young and you weren't really explained too well by the church, it's only so much you can do. My bathroom tradition is that my mother was quite ill and I didn't know until actually years later that she almost died actually as a result of a condition, but I knew that she was ill And we visited actually St. Joseph's Oratory in Montreal, which if you haven't been, I would strongly suggest to go to any Josephine shrine. But we went there and there was a little tiny shrine to now newly done St. Andre the He was just a religious lay brother. And you open the doors and I'm not exaggerating, but like this deep in the walls, I mean, you crutches and crutches and crutches thick. The walls were coated in crutches with little pamphlets, signed notes by doctors stating these people walked into the you know, the doctor's office many times that they couldn't walk or they had cancer or whatever was going on. They then prayed to Saint Joseph or for veneration, they, they were having some kind of an experience with now Saint. Andre at the time Brother Andre was sent, and they would be healed of just unbelievable situations. So no matter how lacking of belief you may be, You walk into a space like that, you feel it. You feel the presence of our Lord. You feel the presence of prayer. And they never changed the altar there. They still have everything as it was. Still have an altar rail. And I saw other people praying at the altar rail, which I've never not only seen an altar rail before, but I didn't know you could do that. And I was like, well, I knew my mom was sick. So I went, I knelt, and my prayer wasn't necessarily the most Christian. But I said, look, you know, you've helped all these other people. God, if you're real, please help my mother. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, didn't tell anything, but it ended up being the case that several months later or whatnot, my mother went to the hospital and they told her that her condition was gone. Wow. And that they actually And I know that's pretty legitimate because they tried to get her to sign a non-disclosure agreement stating that her entire experience never happened.
0: Really? She.
1: Yep. There was a team of, I believe, 11 or 12 doctors that were researching her condition and they ended up literally the stack of paper was dropped and said, You have to sign this and she just walked out. And then later on when she came home, I then told her, Oh, well, I prayed for you, so this worked. And that's when I started doing research. Truthfully, that was the start to, hey, this church thing, I need to know more. Wow. And I ended up studying in New York City. And I went to a mass, I believe it was St. Maria Goretti's relics. Mm-hmm. I more parts if they're short, but Saint Maria Goretti's relics were present at St. Patrick's Cathedral. And it was the first mass I ever went to where I had heard of receiving of the tongue beforehand. I like was reading about it on a great, great website, fishheaters.com, by the way. And I do this, but I've never heard of it. And, you know, I don't want to be that one person, the cathedral that's full. And I was praying the whole way up during the going up to call the communion. And this little, and I'm, you know, how God is funny sometimes, but in good ways. Like, I don't want to be the first person to do this. I'm scared, which sounds silly, but it's just reality. Little sister in front of me was the only one in her whole family. She knelt and received communion in the tongue. I literally looked up at the crucifix and said, okay, our Lord wants me to do this. And I've never received again, not on the tongue. And then I ended up going to my first Latin Mass at Holy Innocence in Manhattan. Unbelievable parish and a Parish and Shrine there. And I've never looked back since it's been home going to the Latin
0: Mass. Wow. Praise God. That's that's such a beautiful story. What what year was it when you when you prayed to Saint Andre Bassinet?
1: I'm pretty confident that it was 20 because 20, I graduated in 2015 from high school. So let's say 2012 or 2013, mm-hmm. something like that. So it's been quite the rapid transition and I am beyond grateful for everything true.
0: It's, you know, I like, I like a little detail of your story there where you said, you know, it wasn't the most Christian prayer. Uh, But I, what I, in my experience, what I've discovered uh, in my walk with the Lord, I'm realizing that sometimes the most raw kind of prayers, you know, the ones that we kind of don't have with our refined filters, I think I'm learning more and more that God can take. And God probably wants to take more a little bit because it, it, he knows the depth of us so deeply. So for instance, um, it's not the similar case, right? Because it wasn't the health of my mom and something nearly that noble was completely selfish on my part. But when I was in Los Angeles for my first two years, I was like, I was starving pretty much. I would have to decide between paying utilities and groceries for that week kind of a thing. And I remember my, my, I wake up and I would look for any gig I could on any website. And if I couldn't find it, I'd, I'd go to, um, perpetual adoration that was happening just because the church was open just down the street from me. And I would pray quite, quite flatly. I'd say, you know, God, like, I love you. You know, I love you, but here's the thing. Um, give me something or send me home. Like, you know, like, no, and- these or thumbs, just give me something or send me home because like, I can't, I can't live in this limbo of indecision. Um, so I, I I like to meditate that, you know, our God is a God of saints and he's a God of very holy, humble, like old ladies and the rosaries and churches. He's also the God of like soldiers and foxholes. Right. And I think he takes like all of that and, and he, he He takes it unto himself as he does. So it, it's how beautiful. Is really true.
1: That is a really good way of looking forward. What? Honestly, one of the greatest things I've ever been told, and my mom's told me mo- many times, is sometimes we need to remember that our Lord calls us to love Him as a child, or in the in the love of a child, as I mm-hmm. should say. Sometimes the simple and just simple devotions of knowing why question some things when you know that they're just they are.
0: Yeah, that's pretty. Do so. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. So I would love to. Man, there's there's so much to unpack. There's there's a whole story there to unpack, and um. I'm so, I'll, I'll have to, i have to remember. It looks like I have a new intercessor now because uh, how powerful is that? Did your mom, just huge question. Did your mom ever submit, was there any, any papal inquiry? Did that help towards his canonization? It was already
1: after the facts because okay. he at the time it was just while we were visiting, it was, they were still changing over some of the signs and stuff. It wasn't like a, you know, three days ago he became a saint, but it was still within the, this happened in recent memory.
0: Yeah, That's crazy i've never heard and maybe i'm not surprised, of course, especially after the last two years but i'm not surprised that so many of the medical community would try to get your mom to sign an NDA saying hey this didn't even happen it's it's amazing how. When something's unexplained on that scientific way when it's miraculous there's entire entities that would rather would rather lie, make a complete untruth than just surrender part of the will which isn't which isn't like a weird thing to do if you're a Catholic.
1: And truthfully, it would be different in two different ways. One, if it was one doctor who had one opinion, that's one thing. Yeah. And maybe they're cover a situation. But the fact that they had an actual team looking into something, like doing research over the course of a considerable period of time, it kind of gives a little bit more move behind the you know the situation there. Because they were really curious as to, you know, they haven't seen
0: that kind of situation. I'd,
1: I'd rather not go into it, but
0: sure. it's just... That's crazy. So to pivot just a little bit, um, give me a state, because what really caught my eye yesterday uh, in our in our correspondence is you showed me uh, kind of a situation on the ground with with Connecticut, at least as part of Connecticut where you're from. So I know that you attend an Institute Parish at present. Um, Hopefully that's popping. Well, we we my wife and I, we attended an Institute Parish only once. It was the it was Institute Christ King out in San Jose, California. And at the time, they were not at a Five Wounds Parish, which is like this beautiful Portuguese church. Um, they were actually in this little strip mall uh, on Pentecost Sunday. But the reason we went is because we had one of the worst nervous order experiences of my life, and it takes really a long time to get me scandalized. But it was it was so bad that I was like, I, I wanted a Latin ghetto, and of course, being in like a little strip mall that's going to be torn down seemed oddly fitting for that amount of grace and holiness. So I, I'm I'm very fond of of Canon and the Institute priests on that part of the world Institute of Christ King in general. Um, I like them when I see their pictures, way more lace, way more incense than the fraternity and the society.
1: <laughs> they definitely enjoy the beauty of the church in all ways. I'm very <laughs> grateful for that. It, it, we church here, St. Patrick's. And I will say that we're very much a part, pop- of the whole diocesan community and that's another interesting and pleasant part mm-hmm. we're not a latin mass. we're not a latin mass community we are a catholic church we have our liturgy celebrated a specific way but i can tell you that you can ask anybody in that church and everyone feels that they're part of actually the diocese we're not some kind of magical you know mm-hmm. unicorn over there as they like to call it sometimes the parishes mm-hmm. and that's what's sad is that People sometimes will look at the Latin mass as this, either a bad thing, or as only this option, or there's no other option. And it can lead to this isolationism from both sides. And it leads to not positive discourse.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, we talk, I mean, you know this, but it's like one thing that really interests us is not just like the virtue of the mass, which, of course, is the source and summit. Like, obviously, this should be like the first starting point, but also like Catholic community, because it's really easy, uh, even even in a in in a fraternity or an institute, right, Even or in diocesan, when they used to exist, uh, it's easy to kind of feel a little isolated. And you don't want to feel like that. You want to feel, I love how you said, like, we're a Catholic church. That's important. I'm looking forward to the fact that, like, my children, God willing, will be the first generation since my grandparents to raise pretty much completely Latin. And because the churches that I go to at present, like, it's going to be really easy for them to also feel completely normalized in the fact of the compendium of the Catholic Church. Carmel and Littleton's, the fraternities, it's, it's one of the biggest of the fraternities in the United States. And uh, we have a really good relationship with Archbishop Aquila, thank God. So as a result, like, it's not, like, weird, you know, you don't, you don't feel like, like, where um, my older pair, St. Vitus, which I love very much dearly, that kind of stuck us out in the middle of, you know, it's a Latin ghetto a little bit, but it's a, it's an oasis and it's wonderful, but you, you do get this kind of sense that, you know, there's a Catholicism of Los Angeles and that's a very, very different kind of entity. And you get a little bit of sanity at St. Vitus, but you're also just aware that you do feel a little, a little far sometimes.
1: There's a really good dichotomy that I can express between my parish and a parish I visited in San Diego. That's actually the FSSP parish there, I believe it's St. Anne's. Anne's. Yeah. So I visited there. I I could only make the 6 p.m. low mass, which I will let you know, I I don't remember how many masses there are there, but there's, I think, five or six, and every single one of them is overflowing. Oh, yes. And everyone's really friendly, welcoming. The Confession lines are overflowing. It's, I really felt at home. People literally were like, I don't know who you are, but hey, let's go out to dinner together. We'll have a conversation. That's the Catholicism that we were always known for historically, and I want to bring that back. So any parish that's going to do that, I'll support it. But they are kind of in this weird situation where the reason they have six masses is because they're in a tiny little church on the outskirts of San Diego mm. that I take an hour and a half to get to <laughs> from where I was staying. Whereas here in Archdiocese of Hartford, I will say we have an extremely good relationship that I can tell with our Archbishop Blair. And he's been very supportive. He's come, he installed our pastor and it's just been a very, it's really a blessing. Like there's no other way of putting it. And we're pretty central. We have a beautiful church, one of the nicest in the state, in my opinion. And we have a home. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to have a home where they are because there's literally no space. Mm. So that can cause interesting.
0: I love, I love that, that perspective on the space, because I think that pivots into kind of a, a big thing that you, you told me yesterday, which is, you know, where we have in a lot of our Latin mass communities, we, we say things like, you know, our churches aren't big enough. You know this is like this oh woe is me right like it's too beautiful and it's too big like these are issues that we're always like kind of going towards but it's of course for the authenticity of the faith um give me a little overview of some of the going-ons with the archdiocese of hartford because what you said to me really interesting is you you pointed out a video and a particular priest uh whom our audience should pray for and i'm sure you can get into that a little bit but what's crazy is that as you know like i've been interested in things like church closures and the restructures of parishes especially in the East Coast this is the very East thing um, and what's funny about this is that in our conversation last night you talked about how there's a priest who went from being the only priest of, of the par- uh, pastor of five parishes down to four which is being consolidated so are you is is Connecticut's the diocese of Hartford are we is it a shrinkage is no one talking about this how does that look?
1: So I'll give you a few pieces of information. And this is something that I'm sure quite a few places are also experiencing. I do know in the Northeast, it's pretty prevalent. Unfortunately, there is a decrease in the number of mass attendance, I would say overall within the entire Northeast as is prevalent in most North America, unfortunately. Um, the model that's been used is it's called a municipal model. They're going to be making it. So basically every town will have one church or correct myself. will have one parish and the reasoning behind that is that it'll be easier for administrative purposes that all the paperwork goes in one location. If you have multiple priests, they can all stay in one location basically. I'm going to be honest, sometimes it's sad to say it, but there are times when you only have a certain number of people going to mass, there's no reason to have nine churches kind of thing. But there's a fine line between being efficient and being pro- actually providing for a situation that will allow growth. is the word. So in my town, we're going from what was five separate parishes. Right now it's we have still five church buildings. One has already had the it's cleared out and it's already been, I think it's called relegated to non-sorted non-sorted use, but they don't celebrate Mass there anymore. And that's the oldest church in town, St. Thomas. But I can see where the Archdiocese, we do only have so many priests, but we have a significantly larger number of parish or physical parish buildings. So I actually support the to a point because it really is productive to have if we only have two two priests why have five churches when there's almost no attendance at one there's low attendance in another one it's good to kind of make it so that maths but at the same time it's not an excuse to then lower the quality of liturgy to ignore the parishioners because they're no longer parishioners of their own church it's going to be parishioners of the whole town so there's a fine line of care that needs to be really treaded there. Basically, we have less people going; they're consolidating, and in theory, we're going to be growing. That's the the goal.
0: Now, as you said, you said in a theory we're going to be growing. So, are they? Is that that is that that's theoretical, though. Do you have hope for such a thing in the for for such churches? So I know that there. It
1: hasn't been going on long enough, as I've been told repeatedly, for them to have solid data on whether or not this has been successful or not. That's what I've been told. I'm praying that that's the truth, that there is some growth, that it's hard to track or whatnot. But I do know that some people who are at least part of different amalgamations, they leave to other towns. So it's been kind of sad to see that. And it's been breaking up local area. But the the reason I'm saying that it's Hope for growth is that basically I haven't seen any significant hope for growth. I haven't seen any hope. It just seems like this is something being pushed out and at people. And honestly, a lot of people around me. Everyone else seems to have the similar opinion. I'm not saying all people, and I'm not in any way going to lie and say that because it's not all people. But a very large number of people feel like this is being pushed at them, and that their voices haven't been heard. Mm. And I think that everyone above the local level has actually heard the realities on the ground. And that's really my biggest concern is simply put that there isn't, there's a lack of communication. That's the biggest one.
0: Yeah. I, I you know, there is a sort of, it is the hardest pragmatism. I think a Bishop or, or a priest has to kind of go through the, the closure the restructuring of you, you made a differentiation between parish and church building, correct?
1: Yes. Because once they we. Beque- you could become one parish. We're still going to have five buildings. One of them is just not actually being used as a church
0: anymore. Gotcha. Gotcha. See, I'm such a I'm such a I'm such a normie over here in Colorado that they're just interchangeable terms still. So um, it's, it's a sad reality. And I want to ask you, they talk about places like, for instance, Detroit. One of the one of the uh, nicknames for it was once like the city of churches. Right, you couldn't walk down the street. These I, I've I've not done too much time on the East Coast, but one thing I'm very struck by when I hear about it and I see about it is it's like, man, you can just throw a stone and you'll hit a Catholic church. And they're not like, you know, they're not like all like the new built like a spaceship ones. These are these are immigrant churches from the mid to later 1800s into the 1900s. I mean, some of these are really pretty places that they weren't recavated so what has happened you know i mean i think that there's obviously like an automatic answer that we we think we're so prone to give but you've been a little bit more attuned to it what has happened in all this time how have we gone from living in a world where was it a matter that these churches were actually just overbuilt in the first place is this just a matter of is this the reality of liturgical change is this just reality of demographics what exactly what exactly are we looking at
1: it's a mixture i would say of three primary aspects the primary one Wow, I said that twice, but either way, um, double
0: primary first.
1: <laughs> yes, so the main one is just as you said, demographics. So, especially in cities, so there's a city nearby, I me mean, near Britain, Connecticut, it used to be a manufacturing hub, it was very densely populated. They have an incredible number of churches. There's one street in downtown, I think there's six Lutheran churches. I'm not exaggerating, and they're within touching distance almost. Yep single Lutheran denomination, the Swedes, the Germans, the whatever had it. Unfortunately, in the other side of time where the Catholics lived, it was the same problem. Even within the Polish community, which I'm Polish, there's two very large distinct churches that were built. I'm not going to say they were fully overbuilt because at the time there was a very considerable population and everyone went to mass. But as industry left the cities, people moved to the suburbs and then they went and built another church. They didn't necessarily continue going back the 30-minute drive to wherever they were living. So demographics is really the primary reason. Chicago is probably the best example of that because they have an unbelievable number of churches that were actually they were demolished within the last several decades, but no one was going like at all. So I can't fully blame them. The second reason I would say simply is that we were very nationalistic. Unfortunately the Catholic Church was quite People were coming over from their home country. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say in a bad way. I should maybe not say nationalistic, more like paternalistic. You wanted to recognize with your community. And rather than just saying, oh, we're all Catholics, it was like, well, we have the, our Polish family. We have our German family, our Italian family. So the best example I've ever seen is in, I can't remember if it's Jersey City, but it's somewhere in New Jersey, along the coast there. There's one block where you have St. Anthony of Padua Church, which is the Polish church, Remember me correctly. Either way, it's St. Anthony's Church. It's a ridiculously beautiful church. They used to have the Latin mass there. Unbelievable. But you have that church here, and then you could stand on the roof of the back of the church, and you could poke the German church that was built the exactly opposite. And then next, that church turned again 90 degrees is the Italian church. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so with, with a hockey stick, and you could touch three different churches. all ca- But only one, I think, is still open. Which is the Polish Church? So demographics, the split up, exacerbated that as well. And thirdly, it is going to be the fact of lack of faith. I'm going to say that in a very mediocre tone, like very neutral, because it's not just Vatican II. You can look at numbers even within the last hundred years, or at this point, a little over hundred years, and there was already some decline. Liturgies were becoming shorter and more rapid. Music was to say it was interesting is an understatement. If you actually read Vatican II, some of the th- things that were said with regards to liturgy did have quite a significant point with regards to keeping Latin and music, for example, Gregorian chant. It's because there wasn't everyone was pretty much having a low mass. Mm-hmm. So there was a lack of development and growth, I would say. But as of late, within the last several decades, it's just been that you have... Pre- look at a large number of the people who are going to churches, not just Catholic, but all churches. If you're being told there's no hell, that God loves you. And as long as you are a good person, you don't, you're going, you're going to be guaranteed heaven. Most of these people are, are doing the math and going, well, if I don't go to church, nothing happens. If I do go to church, it's boring. Why do I go to church? They don't understand that God is really and holy present on the altar. So that's the, the most scariest reason i would say
0: <laughs> i love what a what a frank breakdown and thank you for that um we had charles Clum on the show a little bit ago twice more than twice actually but uh, twice specifically talking about what it's like for him growing up after the changes and we asked okay well tell me about this myth of like the 20-minute low mass was that a true thing and he was like oh yeah you would have you would have you know maybe it was the cathedral or there would be one church in town that was like the liturgical parish you want to go out there to actually see like a high mass in regalia. You go to that one, and then a lot of other places common across the states. That was it was the truth, like the twenty minutes low mass, and we're in and out, and kind of losing that understanding of the importance of what goes on liturgically. So you know, I I think it's I think it's a helpful piece of history for traditionalists to know. Because I think a lot of us can fall into like that in the garden kind of oh, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a meme right but you might find someone who really does think that if only things turned back to the 50s, then it'd be perfect or the 20s, whatever. And I'm like, well, there's problems everywhere. But reality is like the, the church marches onward in its time. So I've always said that if, if the, I would love to have read the original documents of the second Vatican Council, because it seems to me that that I think a call for liturgical renewal probably would have been about do um, it certainly would have been the right time and you would just have had the advent of television and and better producing of stuff and it really could have been a really cool counter reformation. Um, but one thing that you you say there is and from the videos you showed me. Um, this video of a particular church that you showed me a contrast between the older the old priest that was there and their new priest and it really kind of disheartened me because again if. I didn't experience, I think, my first priest who I really looked at as like, this is like a man of God, like this is a father, um, up until high school. Not saying that I'd never therefore encountered any good priest in my past. I might have either been too young or by the time, or I knew that we had one in particular I was like, eh, not really into him. Um, so it's kind of disappointing because you think about what the state of the Catholic Church is in a lot of places. and. On one hand, you know, if we overbuilt because of these paternal instincts. Yeah, that's a problem because it didn't take very long before, like, you know, the Italian boy married the Polish girl and, you know, hanging out with a German kid and before you know it, they all went to mass and this place because it was easier, it was down the train and whatever. Um, but on the other side too, it's like banal liturgy is a huge problem. And it's funny because I think a lot of Catholics in the pews of the Novus Ordo still in particular don't even know, I mean, just by by statistics that we have, many of them don't even know what they're getting. And a lot of times what they get is not like the unicorn nervous order. It's not like the, the reverent, incense, hell, all this kind of stuff, right? Where it's like, where we're just talking purely the theology. It's like, no, this is this is just bad liturgy. You you said red carpet wall or something earlier. red <laughs> And this
1: weird, I don't even know how to explain it. It was a strange drain behind the crucifix.
0: At least there was a crucifix.
1: It's just one of those, this is the stereotype of the spaceship that landed and got bricked in churches. And it's sad. <laughs> it's just no other way. But it's been renovated, and now it looks unbelievably nice inside. It looks like a Catholic. People intentionally want to get married there. Um, actually, a friend of mine did just get married there recently. And I will say that people within even the, a really good, here, I'm going to just give it a mini piece of information. How many people don't have any idea of the liturgy they go to is banal and sad because they've never experienced anything else within my own town. People who are going from one church to our church, for whatever reason, there's been repeated comments time after time. And they're going, wow, we didn't know. This is a quote. We didn't know liturgy could be this beautiful. I'll be back. And we have had at least, what, four or six different Protestants have come in and actually converted to at that. It's a normal sort church but it's beautiful. Is there a little bit of Latin here and there? Very little bit, but there is. The music is reverent. The priest truly believes in the Eucharist. It's very evident. I'm not saying that other priests who are, are as i was always been told, it's not a style. It's not. But there's a difference between Catholicism and people who look like they're Catholic,
0: unfortunately. Wow, that's, that's, that's completely true. And I... Man, it's it's funny because, you know, sometimes when, you, when you've when you been entrenched in the Latin Mass for so long, it's kind of funny to go back and have to be honest with yourself and go, okay, when I was 14, 15 years old, I I knew kind of the Latin Mass was in the ether, I'd never been to one, but what did I think of liturgy? I do remember at times during what well, now I'd be like, that's pretty banal, being like, oh, hey, like, this is okay, whatever. Um, you know, what's funny is I think that in, in Catholicism, a pipeline that we're much more dangerous of is like evangelical Protestantism, if, if people fall off whatsoever. And I think one of the reasons why is because what do people, if people believe that the liturgy is about, is this boring me, right? If the, if the basis there is, is this boring me? I don't feel like I'm getting anything, whatever. There's an experience of emotionalism that they think that they crave in liturgy which emotions are important, but that's not what our guide of faith ought to be, because your emotions are extremely deceptive, you know, like, I love my wife, but you know, sometimes if I'm not happy about her, that doesn't mean I, you know, push her off a cliff or something. Uh, I love my faith, but sometimes when God's testing me doesn't mean I just like don't go to mass. So it's interesting to me that like, what, what the church has done in a lot of places is the idea is like, oh, well, the solution is more of those Protestant injections of emotionalism and and welcoming and inclusion in all the wrong ways. It's like, oh, the problem is that they don't feel like they're at home. Right. Oh, we feel like the Catholic Church is too stiff. And so if we put carpet down, if we make the music relevant, you hear that term all the time, if we. um, Oh, man, if we decide that, uh, come as you are. Right. And and. You know, the kids come up and there's always a question and I'm going to explain what the homily or the, the gospel is. And just all these elements, you lose the entire point of the mass, which is the great sacrifice of Christ locked in, you know, the once the future, the ever present sacrifice of Christ on the cross. If that's our basis of liturgy, then we wouldn't go for emotionalism gratification. And that also would be nice because we'd also put so much effort back into what makes the mass the mass. So the video that you showed me, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a priest, um, very, very theatrical priest. <laughs> uh, you showed me a couple of them, right? But there's one in particular I was just watching and it was Christmas Eve mass, you know? And one thing I like to do with these live streams you can find on Facebook is when they cut to the wide shot, I'm always pausing, I go, okay, how many children can I see among the congregation? Right, you know exactly. And, and right off the bat, it's like, we've gone through like reading the genealogy of Christ and, you know, I'll get it. It's not my favorite part of the Bible, but it's an extremely important part of the Bible. It's not about me. Um, And just right off the bat, it's like, okay, who was this? The father of this, like just joking and laughing and having a good old time. And you're just like, man, dude, no wonder people's children are out of this thing by the time they're 17 and 18. I think that there's
1: one aspect that really has an impact on all the liturgies and all the people going to mass or not and it's something that I actually heard which if you have never listened to it you can listen to it for free or there's also a reading be happy how to be holy by father I I just wrote this I forgot his name but it's father Paul O'Sullivan it's an older reading but it was originally intended as like a packet to try to just make people feel better about their own faith and I've been listening to that as of late and one of the things he mentioned yes when I was listening yesterday in the car He goes, Catholics, unfortunately, forget one really important thing, and that's the Holy Ghost. We might have a love and devotion for the Father and pray to him regularly. We might have a love and devotion for the Son, for Jesus, our Lord. But we forget the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a lot of the day-to-day. It's Mm. drawing us to do more, drawing us to make every day holy. So I think that that's really a big part of it is everyone loves to talk about the fact that there is the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, but they forget about the Holy Ghost when they're beha- in their behavior. Think about even within what is mortal sin, blaspheming against the Holy Ghost is the one that actually is one of the worst, specifically, because that's what's within us a lot of the time. So I think that's a lot of the problem we have today, truthfully. And it sounds like it's a little bit of a distraction, but I'm actually it's pulling it back in because the liturgy aspect why people don't feel the lord present at the lord at the at, at liturgy it's not that the lord isn't present he may not be very happy with how things are going but i in his mercy he, he he's present with us we just need to try to feel him again
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i remember um so my our first pastor out here when i was uh before we got moved uh was was father jackson um keeping your prayers because god willing in july we'll have some answers good or bad we'll have some answers uh i've been following that thing like a hawk but i've been very quiet about it but i have some conspiracy beliefs actually nothing's a conspiracy after after these two years is it now thinking about it conspiracy theorists are just ahead of the curve (laughs) but um but father told a story and he he is a convert and so Back in the 70s, back in the battle days of the 70s, he remembered a mass in some place in Kansas, I believe, where the priest got out the newspaper, like the funny papers, and laid that as the altar cloth. And throughout Mass would just go and comment on the comics, right? And just joke. And it was, it was a sacrilegious mass. It was a sacrilegious mass. Change the words of consecration if people want to be really technical. Bad, bad business. Uh, and so parishioners like got up and left and that included father and another buddy of his. They got up and they left that, that church, but they had one friend stay, um, and, um, and they waited for him outside the doors. And this guy finally came out and they were like, why'd you stay in there? You know, this is just crazy. And the guy's response was, well, you know, if Jesus is in there and has to endure all this, like, dang, I, I, I might as well endure it right alongside him. <laughs> which which is unfortunately is it's a very noble thing to to consider when it comes to bad liturgy you know this is a question and maybe this comes even to your story right because obviously like in churches of bad liturgy you've obviously flown to more rioted liturgy i mean there's no other way to put it um and i've heard this oh what do you say people are leaving that's simple and people say this all the time like i'm sure that you've maybe had this question where people are like well what if i stay in my bad church. And I just help be part of the renovation, right? One day we'll get another priest, one day we'll get a better choir master. I don't know what it is, right? One day there'll be more of us, someone will see me with my mantia and it's better to stay in like the gutter trench than it is to flee. Um, And I say, listen, if you're a single person and you're solid in your faith, do it. But uh, the moment you start having more obligations, there's literally just no way.
1: I've been told I'll never forget this conversation of a friend of mine who was later married, but he ended up—he was considering seminary at the time. And I will tell you that I was actually specifically having that exact conversation: should I stay in the Nova Sordo? Should I stay going to an English class? Help write this—you know—write the ship, as it's been told. And he goes, "Think about this one fact: what is your number one responsibility if you ever become a priest, or if you ever even as yourself?" But he was at the time just specifically talking about priesthood. He goes, it's about the salvation of souls. So if you can't even save your own soul, how are you supposed to save others? And that's been the argument where I've changed a lot of thought, where I'm not saying that if you go to notice order, you're not, you're, you, you can't have good liturgy. I'm not saying if you go to No order, you're going to have any problem. Like you're going to have going, basically Latin Mass doesn't equal perfect. Notice order doesn't equal bad. There is. A certain point where you go to any liturgy and if you feel sick because of the way the people are treating our Lord, I don't see how you can pay attention and assist at that Mass. That's why I stopped going to most bad liturgy is because I was keeping my eyes closed. I was trying to not be present because of the reality that was in front of me. And I think that I'm not the only person. I don't know if you've ever been to a Mass where you're like, Am I really seeing this right now? You know, should I just walk out? And apparently, people have been.
0: So I love that. I love that analogy of like the salvation of your own soul. And you know, I think that people. I always kind of equate it like this. Um, I think that it's you know I'm a little I'm a little uh, biased. So I find that the Latin Mass very much is like a, a good steak dinner, and I find that the Novus Ordo is like fast food. Um, is there is there nutritional value in fast food? Yes. I mean, is Christ present at the sacrifice of the altar in the Novus Ordo? Yes, um, as long as, obviously, with all the conditions met. Same with the Latin mass, okay. So what happens? Okay, well, if you eat fast food all your life, there are some people who eat fast food all their life, sure, and you know what? They like, it doesn't really affect them that much. It's kind of crazy. I get very jealous. I'm not one of those kinds of people. <laughs> I'm the kind of person that needs a really well balanced meal all the time, otherwise I'm going to get fat and greasy and die. Um, But the problem is at the very end of the day, if you're looking at these two meals, the guy who even turns out okay on fast food shouldn't turn around to the world and go see there's no problem with fast food. It's like congratulations you lucked out man, but the rest of your compatriots are falling off left and right, this is not something has to give here, this is clearly not the way to go.
1: Jeff from Subway. Is it Jeff from Subway? It's always that guy.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> there's, that's another example of, yeah, everything just turned out just fine and dandy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, there's not much you could say there. It's, I completely agree with regards to that. But, and then with, to add on, if you're going somewhere and you're questioning a lot of things, it's one thing. And as you mentioned, if it's just yourself, it's still that one thing. Once you realize, oh, wait, what if I'm going to have a wife one day or a husband or children or grandchildren, where I'm presently at, would I take my grandchild there willingly and hope that good things happen? If the answer is no, or if you're really not sure, something's wrong and something needs to change. So,
0: That's yeah. completely true. You know, here's a good question to ask because you, you mentioned that your, your fiance is a convert, correct? Yes. What's she coming from?
1: I'm going to just go with free church event, like
0: evangelical. It was- okay. Oh, thanks. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Hey, how fun. So what's funny is, uh, I always had this question, which is like, if somebody popped into you, listen, I have one mass to kind of get Catholicism. That's all I get to any Catholic, right? You have one shot right now. Take me to a Catholic church. Let me see the mass. Where would that person take them? because even when i was in my novus order days i would do this right a friend would be like hey i'm interested in coming to to mass with you and i'd go oh my gosh well i know where i'm not going to take them and that's not going to be like my home parish because i got to take them to a place with it's funny how suddenly how very very theological and smells and bells we get it's like oh no like they got it's got to be a pretty church It's gotta be one that's not weird. They can't be pants suited, ladies running around all over the place. The music's gotta be like reverent and Catholic. Uh, You know, it's gotta look like a Catholic church, smell like a Catholic church, act like a Catholic church. Um, And so it's amazing that like, now what's funny is that the inverse about the Latin mass I've said is that if the Latin mass was in a barn, I'd still take the Latin mass, even if the new mass was in the most beautiful cathedral, because even though, because it's not, it's more the smells and bells of theology. Maybe I'd find like a happy medium, like an Anglican Ordinariate for that one, but I'd probably try my luck.
1: We have that too, actually, Anglican Ordinariate. We have quite a few people. I'd say on average, like seventy to one hundred ish people, but it's growing pretty well. And I help with that too sometimes. I think you know, that's honestly, be-
0: I've been to I've been to one Anglican Ordinariate mass out in Pasadena, and I've said this: if if the Novus Ordo looked like the Anglican Ordinariate, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have any complaints whatsoever. I'd be like, okay, vernacular, but it's like high Elizabethan English, like clearly the theology of Trent's there. Cool. Like I am satisfied. Like I don't need I wish I wish that it was just a fight over language. That would make life so much easier, right? If it was just like, oh well, this guy's like it in English, these guys like it in Latin. But it's like, no, we're going way deeper than that, son. There's been
1: answers to the language question in the past, so and there's been exceptions made, the glagolithic mess for the region and whatnot. Basically, like the Balkans, they had a Latin mass. It's literally the Latin mass that just happens to be not in Latin. It's very, I know that someone's going to say, well, actually, but you get my point. Most normal people would go, oh, that's a Latin mass, not Latin. It's pretty close. But then I'll give two points. One, I have been very privileged. I got to altar serve that I'm aware of the only Latin mass, nuptial mass at St. Patrick's Cathedral in a really, really long time. I've been to St. Patrick's Cathedral a bajillion times. Never do people stay and watch a random wedding that they don't know. We had, I think, nine priests who were in choir or something like that. And we had, obviously, Father, it was only a, um, a solemn mass, it was not a solemn high mass. I have never seen that many people in St. Patrick's Cathedral stay for an entire liturgy. Wow. because. People walked in and went, whoa, what is this? What is this music? I'm confused, but it's so cool. So you had crowds walking into the church and just sitting down and staying. They stayed the entire wedding. The church was full and practically overflowing. I was shocked positively, obviously, but it was pretty darn cool. And then that was the second time they did one. They had a one Latin mass there, I think a year or two prior, I was not able to serve. But they told everyone, please don't like put on Facebook and anything like this, which it really wasn't as prevalent. But either way, they were go and tell your friends. The church was full. They had a Latin, the first Latin mass since whatever number of decades. The church was literally full. They even did a collection. They, they got to have got the first row guys. You, 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 you. You're coming with me to the back. We need to take advantage of this great situation. Get it. But I was like this. It shows that you can have a cathedral. And I've been there to Mass for all kinds of occasions, I can tell you that it was full. And if there is a visual change when you have the old liturgy versus the new.
0: And they're, I forgot. <laughs> they're built for it. I mean, and this is this is probably the most profound thing I've ever experienced. One of them is when I fell more in love with sacred architecture, realizing that it's not just because there is significant of why we have everything's shaped like a bark, like the bark of Peter, or why we have our churches as as a cross formation, but down to the fact that the acoustics are especially built for sacred music. I, I just got done a good buddy of mine, him and his wife, they got married at St. Peter's and Paul in Wilmington, California. Gorgeous church, just a beautiful, beautiful church. And to see a lot in mass there with their choir. And I was like, this is this is what an imprint of what the divine sounds like. You, you the the words are you could both distinguish them, and yet there's no distinguishing. It's just beautiful and rich, and it's amazing to me how, in my experience in Hollywood, again, you could go to the most secular people in L. A. and say, "I need a Catholic wedding. What does that What does that look like? I need I need you just to film a Catholic wedding." And you know what's gonna happen? They're going to, like Hollywood, I, my joke is that Hollywood does not believe that the Second Vatican Council happened and that there has not been any real liturgical changes because whether it's horror movies like The Nun or it's it's priests being in their their cassocks, right? And like Superman, right? Where like he walks in, and the priest is just there. Like they really do believe that Catholics have to look like Catholics. That's part of the visual medium. And so you will find people naturally because we're wired to worship, we get what incense is and what chant is and what the sacred is. Even if people don't believe that's so crazy to me.
1: Yep. I'll give a really quick example. The first one of the first Latin masses I ever altered, served was a nuptial mass. Sorry, one of the first nuptial masses i ever served was my friend's. She used to be very Protestant. She ended up basically, um there was a death in her family and she ended up looking outwards she ended up finding the church. She was in catechized by a priest. And I can flat out tell you that she went to tradition pretty darn quick because that's who catechized her. I don't remember who the priest was, but she ended up getting married there. And it was very, very interesting situation. Half the church was her family, which was I think Pentecostal and Baptist. The church was stereotyped Michigan, Novus Ordo, like very folksy church people. And the interesting part was the fact that after the during the mass I was obviously not looking at the crowd, but after the mass during the wedding, no sort of people were confused and wondering why it wasn't in English. All of the people who were Pentecostal and Baptist were just raving about how amazing the music was and how just they felt they felt something different than they ever felt before. I'm curious how many converted afterward, but one Latin mass, one solemn high Latin mass, and I will admit they did the Henri Dumont Massa Royale, if you ever have heard of it. Just that's music, God's music, in my opinion. People were literally crying during the mass when they played the Kiri. When's the last time you've been to mass and people were really understanding the fact that it's Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy? It's not just words, it's we are begging literally begging God for his mercy. That's when he. And I think that one of the biggest is we need to just get together in groups as Catholics start being that Catholic church. We want to see. Um, I helped found a group It's called the league of Christ sovereign. And I will admit we're small. We are growing slowly, not that slowly, but either way, you may have heard of the counter revolution beforehand. It was a big Facebook thing. So he, we had a lot long story short it's now the league of Christ sovereign big devotion to the sacred heart we're 100% family oriented and that's what i really we need in the world because if you look at most people's complaints my liturgy's bad my priest doesn't listen to me no one's donating no one's fixing the church i mean how many churches you've been to and it's like falling apart here in my my home parish we had some issues because it wasn't our parish before it was given to us but Canon Estrada came out and was like, "Hey, can let's have like a cleanup day." I think ninety people show up. People like fixing the stairs. They had on concrete mixers, fixing light bulbs. Like, I mean, it wasn't a just let's go rake the leaves. We need to come together as a Catholic faith and actually visually be Catholic, but also actually act Catholic, and with not just little things, but also do the bigger things.
0: You know, I as we kind of have (laughs) a a. Balkanized world. We kind of—I call it the end of the empire. But as we kind of discover if the Benedict option is going to be a true thing or not for all of us, um, I'm I'm struck by one of the great beauties I see with the resurgence of authentic Catholic culture is that the parish is becoming central again, and it's it's not just a place we go to for Mass, but it's a place that we meet our spouses. It's a space. It's a place that we go for for different events and coordinations. It's a place that we know our priests. I mean, it's just. It, in my mind, it, it's what the medieval village kind of is right where the, the, the church, even if it's geographically not culturally, it's the central hub of the town. Um, just as much as you know why we enthrone Christ the King in our homes and do all these other sort of rituals and I think that's absolutely beautiful and so I you know I, I started ushering at my parish not too long ago, because I was like, I need to give back to some more. You know, I, I did a lot of filmmaking for the fraternity out in Los Angeles. Gonna start trying to do it for some some of them out here in Carmel because like that's part of that's that's one of the gifts God gave me, and I have the itch, you know. Uh, it's not enough just to work for like a Catholic apostolate. Like that's that's I want to that's my tether. I want to put my flag on. So, you know, I just think that's absolutely beautiful, and I, I I think that part of what really wins souls for Christ is again, um, it's a it's an old line it's a good line. It's the only line. it's one of those few lines from the Nova's Ordo hymnal that I'll carry over in English, right? But it's like, you know, they will know we are Christians by our love. And as you talked about earlier, with just like the fire of the Holy Ghost being inside of us, if we become beacons of Christ, out from our liturgies out from our churches, if we start really just consolidating each other's brothers and sisters, that's how we reverse closures. That's how we reverse like the decay of culture and everything. And so, um, I will definitely make sure to put a link in the description for the league of christ sovereign um you know i think i think our audience as you probably know i think that they're probably helped to such a thing um is there as we kind of close out is there any kind of last prayer intentions or any sort of or kind of takeaway that you'd like to kind of give for the rest of the folks out there in the field with
1: regards to prayer intentions i would just simply ask that everyone- hear this one thing It's actually from that how to be happy how to be holy book as well when you're doing the sign of the cross you do it reverently and today if you can pray to the holy trinity that your parish is restored in the faith and then take an action in doing so that is the one thing i can ever ask of someone and with regards to the love part this is relating to that you said that we we have this in our heart, the fervent love of the Holy Ghost and we have to be Catholic in love. There is no greater love shown in the world. And the only official intention of the church is the salvation of souls. If we believe that you're Catholic, then we believe that we need to have everyone be Catholic. We want to bring people home.
0: Dominic, is there any place, uh, any kind of social media, is anything you want to plug uh, for people to follow you or see what's up? Anything like that?
1: We're a little quiet on social media in the front. I'll admit I have to do some more posting we do have to try to increase the presence. But part of it's just because a lot of us, we have families, we're, we're growing. I'm getting married. My friend just got married and other friends having multiple kids. It's basically we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. I would honestly say if you need to, if you have any questions, message us on Facebook or on Instagram. We'll happily you know give you some conversations. There's a lot of good growth to come very soon. <laughs> so that's a really good thing to say. But truthfully we're a family apostolate we're really trying to focus on the fact that you need to make every day of your life catholic and we need to make sure that everything we do is for the growth of christ the king because christ sovereign is everything
0: absolutely beautiful man well for everybody please don't forget to like comment subscribe demolish that like button all those youtubey things as you know if you like this conversation we always love i mean you're one of our listeners and now is a good buddy now so you know if if you have stories too like we love hearing from people not just in the comment sections but if you want to come on too i'm pretty easy to talk to you did you say i don't have to pay you anything so if
1: you know someone is not listening you need to get them listening it's that simple
0: there you go <laughs> see that was that was non-paid endorsement don't worry the check's in the mail uh, <laughs> no god bless you may I keep you dominic as well as all of our listeners we'll see you on the next one adios